terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered after each full moon. Losing sleep, raising a teenage daughter, and caring for his ailing father, Officer Marshall struggles to remind himself that there's no such thing as werewolves. Or are there? Spoilers ahead for The Wolf of Snow Hollow from 2020. Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. This is the show where I like to take a horror film and perform an autopsy on it to really study and understand what it's all about. My name is Brucker, and today I'll be looking into the 2020 Jim Cummings movie, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I will be discussing which horror subgenres the movie bleeds into, the types of fears it plays off of, attempt to diagnose any meaning behind the film, and determine which movie prop is worthy of being added to the basement in the cabin in the woods to summon the evildoers from this film. Thank you so much for coming back to the show, and please be sure that you're following me on Twitter and Instagram, at Horror and share me with friends and family. It's the best way to grow the show. And I want to thank you once again, I know I've already said it like three times, but thank you for coming back to the show. I've been kind of taking a little bit of an extended break, a bigger break than I thought I was going to take since the holidays, and I kind of just needed to recharge my batteries, life has been crazy, work has been crazy, but during this time, I've also been kind of going on tour. <laughs> I've been on seven other podcasts during this break, and I've been trying to get out there, get exposure, make connections, and have fun. So I want to give a special thank you to people that have had me on, and I encourage you guys to go check out these shows. So I would love to thank Cadaver Dogs, Dustin Can Read and Watch, The Great American Scream, Podzilla, The Night Shift, Shoot the Flick, and a fun little sideshow that a good friend of mine and I have started called Blue Milk Drop, a Star Wars podcast. So please go check out these shows. I've had a ton of fun getting to interact and meet so many different people and talk about so many different things. So once again, thank you to everybody that's been collaborating with me. It's been awesome getting to know you folks. But back to today's topic, which is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. This movie was written, directed by, and stars Jim Cummings. The movie also stars Ricky Lindome, Robert Forrester, and Will Madden. This was actually Robert Forrester's last movie, and the movie is dedicated to him. He made over 140 movies and was a titan in the industry. Robert Forrester, thank you for everything you did. Rest in peace, man. And I gotta say, your performance in this was so good. Robert Forrester is kind of the comedic relief in Wolf of Snow Hollow. He was very funny, and he brought levity that was much needed to this <laughs> kind of horror dramatic movie. I won't ask you to pray with me because of the goddamn lawyers. Robert Forrester, rest in peace. The Wolf of Snow Hollow had a, a modest budget of $2 million, and it only grossed $226,000 worldwide at the box office. Now, that may seem like a major failure, but upon further investigation, I see that this movie was only screened in 112 theaters. To put that into perspective, there's roughly 5,800 theaters in the U.S. That's not even cracking 2% of theaters that it was showed in. Nevertheless, this movie has done really well to critics. It sits with an 89% Rotten Tomato score with the critics and a 66% score with the audience, if you're into that kind of thing. Personally, I really dig this movie. I think it's really good. 
I love the mystery whodunit aspect of this. The creature design is so good. And the allegory and parallels of what a werewolf is and paralleling it to a small-time sheriff who has who suffers from alcoholism and has anger issues and it was kind of a natural pairing to have those two together and it works so well i i I, that's probably my favorite thing about this is just seeing the parallels between the protagonist and the antagonist in this now i do wish that we got to know more of the antagonist in this movie because that's kind of one of my biggest gripes about this is that we didn't really get too many clues for the mystery aspect of this the third act kind of just happens and shows its hand and it's I don't want to say it's not satisfying but it would have been a bigger and better payoff if we got to kind of see the the dots connect but I kind of think that was on purpose on Jim Cummings part because because I think he was more so of trying to put together a story that is about a person's own struggles with self-hate and alcoholism, abuse, and so many other things that he didn't want it to be distracted by this murder mystery. So I think that was purposeful and not necessarily bad writing because there are clues there. It's just extremely subtle. And before I get into those subtle clues, I wanted to at least touch on something that I did like about this movie is that I like the unique twist of it in that there is no werewolf. I mean, there is, but there isn't. There isn't this mythological beast in which a man literally metamorphs and transforms into a giant werewolf monster. Rather, the creature in this is that it is a very real human person, actually it's a taxidermist, that is putting on a werewolf or wolf costume that they made with razor gloves, and they are going out and attacking people on full moons. I loved that twist. I thought that was very cool. And with it being grounded in reality of how this would actually play out, it was a cool twist and I guess modern way of telling that story. But on to those subtleties that I mentioned, I had to break one of my own rules for this, and which is I don't watch YouTube reviews or listen to podcast reviews of movies that I am covering or about to do research for because I subconsciously don't want that reviewer's own opinions to sway my own and I also really don't want to accidentally steal any sort of cool interpretation that they may have in case I may come with that on my own as well because if I come across somebody that said something oh that's such a good point I wish I wish I could bring that up on the show but I didn't really come up with it and it would not be great to do that so that's why I like to stay away from that However, like I said, this movie is extremely subtle and nuanced, so I kind of had to find something or somebody that was able to connect the dots for me, and I feel okay with the source that I found. So I found this YouTube channel called Burns Reviews, and I feel completely okay with crediting this YouTube channel because Jim Cummings himself endorses his videos. I looked at the comments for this video, and Jim Cummings himself commented saying that this guy nailed it and got got it all correct so i feel okay doing this and way to go burns reviews so here are some of the points that i missed that i didn't get the first time so one of my big gripes is that i wish that paul Kernary, the actual werewolf was a bigger character or somebody that we saw more often in the movie so that way we could go oh it was this guy we actually do see him and he's more present in the movie than i originally thought again it's super nuanced so 
for the record, he does show up at the beginning of the movie. The, the first attack that this happens at, the Airbnb where they're staying at, it is his house that he's renting out. And we see him outside of his truck yelling at the police officers, saying that, you know, he's got to get in there. What is he going to tell his wife? Am I supposed to rent this out? It's like a haunted attraction now, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I had a hard time recognizing him because he had facial hair in it, which is kind of a dumb reason for me to not recognize him. But it is him. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And some key points about this part with the Airbnb is that there's other clues here that the officers missed that would have that would have helped progress the investigation further along had it come to a conclusion much earlier on and those clues are that at this airbnb in which the werewolf is renting it out we saw that there were no knives in the kitchen and no bottle opener and that's because well paul knew that he's going to come and attack those people that night so he didn't want them armed with any sharp objects that can hurt him clever girl very clever extremely nuanced and i love that detail i just kind of wish i was able to put that together more or that there were more signs of this because the, the mo of the killer was still kind of vague and too sporadic to really put together any sort of pattern so that was cool i guess i just wish it stuck out a little bit more to me but still very cool points that this person brought up and while we're talking about the airbnb i do want to mention that i freaking love the little subtle hints and that I didn't get until the rewatch and this movie opens up on taxidermy stuffed animals it, it, it's super subtle but it's a very subtle clue on who the werewolf is and we just get these close up close-ups on all these taxidermied animals I was like ah that's a that, that's a little nod and kind of a clue but it's extremely nuanced and you wouldn't get it the first time you watched it other times that we see Paul in this movie is that we actually see him in every funeral scene. He is in the background sitting behind Jim Cummings for every funeral. And each time that there is a new funeral, he is sitting slightly closer to John Marshall in it. Very cool. However, though, Paul, when you do see him, he is extremely out of focus and super blurry. And even though I've already seen the, the, this YouTuber show where he is in these, if I were to go back and watch, I don't even know if I'd be able to point him out because it is that blurry. But again, Jim Cummings commented on this saying that this is absolutely right. So I'm taking him for that. But it is, again, way too subtle. Another time we see Paul is that he is actually in the montage of those interrogations that they do. And he is, again, <laughs> has facial hair, which it's stupid for me to not recognize him with it. but whatever my brain is stupid and he's in that and he's again complaining about his wife through, through those so i guess we kind of see him reoccur but uh, i just wish he was like a little bit more of an active character and i think it would have still been a better payoff now the other time we see him isn't him this was a super cool detail and a big hint i think and this is going back to taxidermy so we don't see him but we see his work when John Marshall goes to the library to do some research on werewolves, he also does research on taxidermy for some reason, and he picks up a taxidermy book, and you clearly see on there that it was written by Paul Kernary, the guy who is the werewolf and is the local taxidermist. How was this not like a bigger clue to John? I don't know, but 
that is such a cool detail, and I love that. And they even show how the font and writing on the book is called Taxidermy by Paul Curinary. It is the same font and lettering for his own shop, but it's just backwards of like what the book says. It says like Paul Curinary Taxidermist instead of Taxidermy Paul Curinary on the book. Super cool. Love that detail. And we get little snippets of the seam ripper that are you know, a tool to trade for the taxidermist. And we see those in the, the books and what, when he's doing his research. And we find that to be a little tool uh, later on in the movie. And that's kind of like where things start to click for a lot of people in the police department. But um, super cool detail. Again, so subtle. So, so, so subtle. Uh, and See, this is an interesting conversation because nowadays people do kind of complain about how much movies hold our hands and really shoehorn things and kind of don't leave a whole lot of nuance or room for interpretation or ambiguous readings. I'm not saying I wish it hold our hands or anything. I just kind of wish it was a little bit more of, you know, where you can connect those dots. But again, I don't think that Jim Cummings, I don't think that his purpose or mission or goal behind this movie was to put together a good whodunit just more of tell a story of John Marshall, who is a struggling alcoholic with anger issues. So outside of the mystery aspect of this, things that I did like or things that like stuck out to me were the editing. The editing was very unique in this, but it was sometimes unsatisfactory. So an example of times where I like this is we will open up on the police at a crime scene going over, well, the crime scene, and it'll be intercut with the actual attack for that very crime scene. And that's kind of a cool way to do it, to go back and forth like that. However, the tone when they do this isn't executed very well because it's almost played as a joke, as a gag when they, when they do these weird intercuts like this and where I'm getting like the, the, the weird comedic element of this that they're trying to incorporate is that they played this kind of goofy music and it's, it's not dark, it's not dread, it's not serious, it's just kind of like wah wah sort of feel to it. Shut down the mountain, get these cars out of here, call your people, we need this parking lot. John, it's another young woman. John, they're saying it's a big bear, big jaw. No, it's a man. When do I get to be right about something? Like canine's lower mandible. That's what they're get saying. Get him on the phone. I'm not listening. I got to that. him on the phone. I'm telling you what they're saying. Hey. Really didn't like that. I didn't like being jostled around this much with the tone. I mean, this movie is kind of a dark comedy, and I'm not in the subgenre categorization yet. But I don't know. It didn't mesh well with me. So I wish that the the editing in those parts where they're playing this weird music, I wish that the tones matched each other better. But that, that was kind of like another gripe I had about this. But in other places, the editing did work where it was really creepy and I liked how they would intercut these attack scenes with scenes of them, you know, discovering the, the crime scene and going over it for clues and things like that. So I did find that to be kind of cool. So let's get into the subgenre categorization. So let's start with what should be the obvious one. Monster movie, right? Well, kinda. 
This movie has a real case of, it turns out man was the real monster all along, with it turning out that there actually is no real werewolf, it is just a man in a costume. Kind of feels Scooby-Doo-ish, but I'll allow it, it's totally fine. The creature design, as I said, it was great, and that reveal is so interesting. It kind of does that Spielbergian thing, but it subverts those Spielbergian expectations. And by that, I mean the Spielbergian trope of revealing the monster at the end of the movie, but it subverts those expectations because once the monster is revealed, it's kind of a letdown because it's not this big, growling, bloody, hairy beast. It's just a tall dude. <laughs> it's just a tall dude in a costume. But Will Madden does a great job in this as the wolf, as Paul. And the movie does try to portray him as like he's 7'1 or something like that. But in reality, he's six foot. And six foot is tall, but they make him out to be this ginormously tall person. Um, I don't know. I just kind of found that to be kind of hilarious. But with this movie being called The Wolf of Snow Hollow and thinking that this is a werewolf movie, you would think that this is predominantly a monster movie when actually it really isn't that much of a monster movie. I mean, it is, but that's not the umbrella genre for this. In fact, horror isn't necessarily the the big genre for this. Horror is kind of tertiary in this. It is more of a drama, honestly. John is dealing with alcoholism, anger issues, his ex-wife, his daughter going to college, his dying father, and oh yeah, he's trying to keep order in the town of Snow Hollow and present the second-rate police force as to being functioning for his town people. He has a lot going on. He has a lot boiling within him. He has so much anger, and that was the thing that I loved so much from this was the parallels in the allegory he represents for a movie that's talking about werewolves. Because this movie is presenting him to be the werewolf. He, John is a red herring in this. You think that he gets drunk, gets angry, and goes out and attacks people. And that kind of seems to be the MO. And the movie does a good job at trying to make you think that he is that. And that is purposeful. Because, as I've said, I really do think that Jim Cummings is more focusing on John's struggles. Because John is a self-hating man, I think. He doesn't like himself. He hates, he, he, he has a lot of hate. He hates his ex-wife. He has to deal with her. The townspeople hate him because they think he's doing a bad job. He hates the police force he's in because nobody listens to him. And he doesn't hate his dad, but he hates the situation that his dad, who is the sheriff, has put him in because he won't retire because he is too too darn of a masculine person to accept and admit that he has health problems, that he can't be sheriff anymore, and that he needs to retire. And John is begging him to do this. So he's being driven to anger, and he lashes out so much, and he's being driven to alcohol, and he falls off the wagon so much in this. It's really good storytelling of showing what it's like to be in that situation and to possibly be a person that abuses substances like alcohol. And they kind of throw in this other red herring with the heroin addict that's in the trailer park and he has the wolf tattoo that may seem so wild and random to throw that person in here and not even make him a bigger character. But I think it's purposeful because it's, I think, there to show possibly what John could turn into. I mean, yes, John is abusing alcohol, but you know, if he doesn't get under control, what else could he be trying to chase to get that high or, you know, whatever. So I, I think that's kind of like why it's there. It's kind of showing, 
you know, a person who is angry and abuses things like drugs or alcohol, what they could kind of turn into. I think that was a, possibly a pretty good parallel. And I kind of also like the analogy that you can make between John and a werewolf. Besides the things that I said that are obvious, you kind of substitute a couple of things of what they do and act on, and it's a very similar story. Substitute a full moon for alcohol. That's, that's what changes him. And substitute a woman in a parking lot with his own liver and his own life. His own actions from his alcohol abuse, he can't control himself, and he is killing his own body. He's killing his liver. He is further distancing himself from his daughter. That's probably why his marriage failed. And he is neglecting to, to approach things that he really needs to, such as, should he even be sheriff? He isn't taking the time to stop and think, should I do this? Is this something that I want? Because honestly, I don't think it is. Because we kind of see throughout the movie, he's not fit for it. Besides his alcohol abuse, he just doesn't seem to be fit for it. And that there's somebody else in the room that's better fit for it. And that is Detective Julia. We see how Julia is able to bring the team together to look over evidence. We actually open up with her, the only person that is studying the first Airbnb case. She is studying it while she's eating dinner in the Graphic images don't really phase her, so she has the stomach for it. And she doesn't lash out. If anything, she tries to reach out a helping hand to John as he's spiraling out of control, saying, hey, we need to act more like a sheriff. And he doesn't really respect that, but she still does her job. And she also helps keep peace in the community by having that one grocer take down the sign about the werewolf so that way there isn't mass panic about it. So if John wasn't, you know, possibly dealing with his own self-hate and his own alcohol abuse that he would have maybe had the bandwidth to open his eyes and see who's doing well in his police force and see who's in the room doing good things and possibly made that promotion a little bit sooner than it needed to happen. Along with it being a drama and monster movie, this is a really good crime mystery whodunit. And that, you know, whodunit aspect kind of comes with the territory of it being a werewolf movie, which love. It is also a pretty good dark comedy. I love the jokes in this. Robert Forster is so good. He gives one of the best jokes in the movie. The whole, I ask you to pray with me, but I can't because of the goddamn lawyers. It's so good. I. The, the humor in this was, was pretty good. You know, maybe we could have used a little bit more of it, to be honest. But yeah, so that's kind of what I got from this. This movie bleeds into monster movie, drama, whodunit, and kind of a dark comedy. So let's get into the fear analysis portion of this show. According to Dr. Carl Albrecht, there are five types of fears that humans share psychologically. And those are the fear of extinction or death, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, or rejection, and finally, humiliation, shame, worthlessness, i.e. the death of ego. Let's go through these one by one. Number one, death. Yes, obviously that kind of comes with the territory of a werewolf movie like this. It's not exactly the, you know, forefront uh, abject fear on this, although many of the victims do experience this, so it's definitely there. Mutilation, body invasion. Yes, the mangled bodies that we see in this, they are great. We do only see little snippets of them, but 
there is enough of it enough of it there to really have that fear of body mutilation and there's that pretty rad scene of the the woman in the parking lot when the at the ski lodge and the wolf attacks her and we see her arm get ripped off What? That was really good. I like that. And I just wish we got more of these attack scenes. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I, want, more, I want more carnage in my werewolf movie. So I don't know. That's, I guess, another gripe I had. But mutilation is definitely there. There's also this whole thing of, you know, the taxidermist, you know, with, with envelope violations and him, you know, getting into these animals, stuffing them and sewing them back up. There's kind of, there's kind of that subtext all there and with you know the mutilation john is kind of in a sense mutilating his own body he is destroying his liver through his alcoholism so that's kind of there loss of autonomy i guess so in a way with the alcoholism again just substituting a full moon with a six-pack and you don't know the type of person you'll turn into. So, and same thing with a werewolf. You don't know the type of beast or creature you'll, you'll turn into. So, but it's not really a fear so much. Like, I don't really see John talking about how he hates the person he becomes. He doesn't know what he's going to do. It's just more of, it's more of other people around him watching and hating, seeing him do this to himself and them worried about what he's going to do. I mean, we have that whole scene with his daughter yelling at him about getting drunk and crashing his truck into something. And I believe even the one of the female police officers at the uh, police force kind of gets on to him about some stuff when he's drunk in the office. So, so there is a dash of loss of autonomy, fear in this, but it's more of others fearing someone else losing that autonomy, not themselves losing that. So that's there. Separation, abandonment, rejection? Not really. I don't really see that in this. However, humiliation, shame, and worthlessness, the death of ego, that is definitely here. And Sheriff Hadley, John's father in this, embodies this fear heavily. He is too ashamed to admit he has health problems, and that is probably time for him to step down as sheriff because it would hurt his masculine ego just way too much. So that is definitely there. I do find it odd, though, that we don't get too much shame from John in this. We do see him go to AA, but I mean, I mean, there's okay, there's no shame in going to AA and trying to get trying to better yourself. Um, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that I don't really see where we get him feeling bad about being an alcoholic or him destroying his relationships with others because of his alcoholism. I find that interesting that he doesn't have any sort of sense of worthlessness. I think he definitely feels worthless in a way, but it's more of frustration because people won't listen to him because he's having to argue with people this whole movie that there's no such thing as werewolves and that need to be looking for a guy. John, they're saying it's a big bear, big jaw. No, it's a man. When do I get to be right about something? But again, it's not stemming from a fear of worthlessness. It's just stemming from frustration. Just like, damn it, nobody will listen to me. As I said, his father, Sheriff Hadley, greatly embodies that fear of worthlessness in this and i thought it was pretty cool to see that as i said up top i don't think that this movie is particularly very scary i wasn't finding myself to feel fearful much throughout this movie but 
I think that there are at least two contenders for the scariest parts of this movie. One, the parking lot attack with the mom and her baby. This was very scary. We get to see the mom's arm get ripped off. Visually, this, this shot is stunning because we have the full moon in, in the background. The werewolf stands super tall in this. We get, a, we get a sense of just how large this beast is. And we get to see the beast charge at her and everything. This was very, this was shot really well. It was scary. Just which I just wish it was a little bit longer. My second contender for scariest part of this is John Marshall being in the home of Paul Kernary at the end of this. You get a sense of how much danger he actually is. And it's, it's very creepy, but it's also still kind of nuanced because you still haven't put together like what's going on. You know that there's a light bulb going off in John's head that he shouldn't be there. And that you get the sense that this dude is just really freaking weird and I, he just needs to get out of there. It's very similar to that scene in Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal when he goes down to that basement and the, the guy that he's getting information from is just being super creepy. And you just get that sense of get out of that fucking basement. Same thing here. As soon as you see John kind of put it together in his head with his body language, you just kind of get, oh, fuck, John, get out of this fucking house. And th that was probably the, the scariest part of this movie for me. If you could take away anything from this, it is that you need to swallow your own pride and seek out help when you need it. John exemplifies this with his alcoholism. Sheriff Hadley exemplifies this with his stubbornness and not willingness to talk about his health issues, see his doctor, and ultimately just step down as sheriff. I also got the sense that this movie is also kind of talking about how you need to speak up when you know you're right about something, and you're, you're seeing a job is not being done well, and that it is important to make sure certain jobs get done correctly. I believe that this was exemplified through John's frustration with the police force and everybody talking about how they should be looking for a literal werewolf when he says no. There's no such things, but people won't listen to him. However, the person that actually did a better job of this is his detective, Detective Julia. Detective Julia was a really good example of somebody that showed that they knew what they're talking about. They had good leadership skills and somebody that probably should have spoken up more and been more assertive with her ideas and her thoughts and how she thought, uh, believed things should have been done and pursued. So that's what I think that this movie's touching on. It's touching on don't be too prideful, ask for help, and speak up and be assertive when you know you're correct and the job has to get done because it's that important. Now, moving on to the last segment of this show, the Cabin in the Woods Trinket segment, which movie prop when I put in the basement of a Cabin in the Woods to summon Paul, the taxidermist werewolf. I have two contenders for this. One, give me that seam ripper. I think that was a good, small, little movie prop that you could definitely put in that basement. Somebody would pick up and go, what is this? So, give me the seam ripper but something that I think might even possibly be a better prop is the taxidermy book written by Paul Kernary that John reads in the library that feels extremely fitting for a Cabin in the Woods basement scenario. And I can see somebody picking that up and reading that 
And then, uh-oh, what's that? Here comes Paul dressed up as a werewolf to come slash you to death. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Autopsy of a Horror Movie. I want to give a special thank you to Narissa and Shelly. You two are super awesome supporters and listeners. And I also want to give a shout out to Cleveland, who gave me a five-star review on Spotify. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brucker Horror. Tag me in your stories, in your tweets, and retweet my episodes so that way your friends can see what you're listening to. Please give me a kind review on iTunes and Spotify. Please check out The Spirit of Children. It's a really awesome charity. There are links in the show notes. Please go check them out. Watch some good movies, and I will see you next time with another horror analysis. Bye.